Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. And uh, we're celebrating as part of the church calendar uh, today, Palm Sunday. And as Ken said before, Palm Sunday is the moment when Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem. And uh, crowds come out to meet him. They throw down their cloaks in front of him. And they take palm branches. They put the palm branches out before him. And he rides into Jerusalem. The kids are all singing. It's a great moment uh, as he enters into Jerusalem. And uh, that's Palm Sunday uh, for you. And so what we want to do this morning is take a little look about what Palm Sunday was all about. We're going to talk about the coming of the king, the coming of Jesus, and we're going to look at three characteristics of the coming of the king, what it meant back then for when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and then maybe what it means for us here today as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some passages of the Bible which talk about this very event. And the first one happened many years before the event uh, itself, and it's in a book in the Bible called Zechariah. Zechariah, it's right near the end of the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at chapter 9 and verse 9. And then we're going to be moving over to Matthew chapter 21. So if you have a device or you have a book or whatever, you can, uh, we're in Zechariah 9, and then we're going to go to Matthew 21. If you don't have either, the words are going to be up on the screen behind me, so you can follow along that way as well. I'm using the English Standard Version. So this is Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. And then it moves from there to Matthew chapter 21. Let's turn to that as well if you have a Bible. And this is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. Matthew 21 beginning at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, which we've just read, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for sending Jesus into our world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came. We thank you, Lord, that you came, Lord, for a very specific purpose and reason. And we're the beneficiaries of that right now. 
And I pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see what happened here. You'd open our hearts to receive the truth of your word. And Lord, you would open our understanding, Lord, of how you want to move even in our day. And I pray even this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, there will be a coming of the King right here, right this morning, right now. Lord, as we celebrate who you are and what you do and how you work in our lives, that you will move among us even now by the power of that same Holy Spirit and you would touch each of our lives where we need to be touched. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I said we're going to look at three different characteristics of the coming of the King, Jesus the first time, and then what that might mean for us now and into the future. And the three things we want to look at, we want to look at when Jesus came, when did the King come, we want to look at how did the King come, and we want to look at why did the King come, okay? When he came, how he came, why he came. So let's start with the when. Zechariah was a prophet that gave the word that Jesus was going to come or a king was going to come riding on a donkey. It's very interesting when he wrote that prophecy because it was many years before Jesus actually came into Jerusalem. It was in a time when Israel had been scattered. Uh, they had been conquered. They'd been carried away into captivity. And now they've just been able to come back to Israel and to Jerusalem and they're starting to rebuild. They're trying to rebuild the walls. They're trying to get rid of all the rubble. They're trying to be able to make their city come back together again. And at some point, they want to build the temple. But they were finding it very, very difficult. And here, two years later, after they've started, they're really pretty discouraged. Uh, Everything they're trying to do is getting resisted. There's opposition from the area around them, people who don't want them to rebuild the city. The king who now rules over them and over all that they're doing is wanting to have a war with Egypt. And so he wants to get his money together. And so he's taxing them really heavily to get the money together to go off and have his war in Egypt. So they have financial problems. They have problems from the government. They have problems uh, of opposition around them. And then there's just the physical problems of moving so much rubble and getting it out of the way and being able to start again and work their way through. And they were discouraged. In fact, they called it a day of small things. Because that's what it felt to them. They'd come back so excited to make things happen, so excited to build things. They had this whole building and expansion process that they wanted to get into. And here, two years later, it's not going the way they wanted. It's taking longer, and it's more hard work and everything else. And they are just discouraged. And so into their discouragement, God sends people who are going to bring them the word of the Lord. They're going to prophesy over them. Which is just what you need when you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're struggling. What's going on? What's happening? You need to hear God speak to you, and God sends people to them to speak to them. So he sent the prophet Haggai, and Haggai came, and he started to prophesy about rebuilding the temple and what would happen when the temple was rebuilt. And two months after Haggai started to prophesy, God sent another, and he sent Zechariah. And Zechariah started to prophesy to them about what God wanted to do through Israel and through the nation of Israel, and it centered around this piece about a king that was going to come. A mighty king. In fact, as Zechariah said, it's a king whose rule is not just going to be in Israel. It's not just going to be in Jerusalem. But his rule is going to be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And that scripture is in our parliament buildings in Ottawa. uh, Because that was part of the foundation of, uh, of the nation of Canada. That's what they hoped would happen. 
And so they were expecting a great king to come. So when this encouragement came to them and the word of the Lord came to them, they all got going again and they started to rebuild the walls. They finished rebuilding the walls. They got moving on rebuilding the temple and they were waiting with anticipation for the king to come. But the king didn't come. Not in their generation. Not in the generation after that. Not even in the generation after that. In fact, the words that we were reading out of Matthew that were for the fulfillment of the original prophecy were 560 years after the original prophecy about the king coming riding on a donkey. 560 years. That's the equivalent of somebody giving us a prophecy in 1460 that's going to come true today. Or equivalent of one of us giving a prophecy that's going to come true in 2580. That's a huge amount of time. And when you understand that, you understand the first characteristic of the coming of the king, which is the king comes on God's timetable, not on our timetable. We have our agendas, we have our Google calendars, we have all the stuff that we run our life off. But there is another calendar that is operating what is going on in our world and what's going on in our universe at a much higher level than anything that we can have control over. And it's the calendar of heaven. It's God's calendar. And he knows the beginning from the end and he's overseeing it all. And what seems like a delay to us is not a delay to God because God has dates in his calendar when he's going to bring to pass all of the words that he ever spoke. Every word that he has spoken is going to come to pass. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And the when is on God's calendar. And one of the skills for us as people living on this planet and living in this earth is to learn how to grow in our capacity to understand God's agenda and God's calendar and live on his timing rather than living on ours. There's a phrase that happens a number of times in John's gospel. And it's this. It wasn't the right time. This is not my time. It was not Jesus's time. Uh, One of the moments was some of Jesus' brothers, like his physical relatives, his brothers came to him and they said, it's time to go up to the feast in Jerusalem. You need to declare yourself as being the king and then everybody will follow you. And Jesus said to them, for you, it's always the right time. But it's not my time right now. You go up to the feast and I will follow you up. In other words, you always think that the right time is right now which is what I kind of feel about God's words. I want them right now, right when it is. Instant coffee Christianity didn't start when instant coffee started. It's been around for 2,000 years. People wanted it right now and even before that. But it doesn't always happen the moment that we want it to happen. Some of you have got prophetic words that you're holding on to. Some of you have got words God's spoken to you and, uh, or heart desires that you have and you're thinking, Lord, when? And you can get frustrated. For us, now is always the right time. But it's not always the right time for God. And it's getting on his calendar and understanding his agenda. We have a building project of our own, as you know. We're looking to build in West St. Paul. We've been fighting battles to to get through various stages of the build. And as we've moved through, we've had various deadlines along the way. And if you've been following that, we were hoping that we could have a shovel in the ground by the end of March or the end of February even. Well, that is no longer possible. It's now April. And there's no shovel in the ground. I felt like going and putting a shovel in there just so I could say I'd done it. There's no shovel in the ground uh, at the moment. 
And so we've had to come to terms with the fact that this is going to take us a little longer. We were hoping to be able to move the school in next summer in 2020. Well, that is not possible anymore. We've blown past that deadline. It's not possible. And if you're like me, I got really discouraged about that. I thought, Lord, it's been so long. We've been on this process. We started the expansion process in 2012. This has already been seven years. But God has got a a reason why he's doing things the way that he did. We were sitting here praying last uh, Sunday night, Saturday night, before the Sunday morning meeting. And one of our elders, Peter Hagenlocker, started to pray about the people that were going to move into these apartments here. We're going to have 350 apartments right on our doorstep here. We're going to have 14 sixplexes right across the back of this property if they finish all the sixplexes they've started. That's over 1,000 people that are going to come and live right on our doorstep. And as we were praying, we began to feel God's got a reason for us to be here yet. We want it to be tomorrow. We want to be able to be over there. We want to be able to move and start Gateway East, wherever Gateway East um, begins. But God is not done here yet, even with this property in this building. Last Sunday morning, uh, when Ron preached about the presence of God, uh, I came forward for prayer, and the Holy Spirit really just kind of touched me powerfully. I was laid out on the floor. Sometimes when God comes on you in power, you can't stand up. And I was lying on the floor. I wasn't thinking about it particularly, but all of a sudden these thoughts started to come to my head, and it must have been the Holy Spirit. I'm not done here yet, Peter. There's things here yet that are yet to be fulfilled. There are words that have been spoken, even about this place, that have not been fulfilled yet. And there were two specific words that God reminded me of. And the first one had to do with healing. We had some words given to us back in the 90s um, about healing coming here by, in, a, in a whole new way by the power of the Holy Spirit, about ambulances coming and dropping people off. And, and I know we can take those prophetic words with us to Gateway East and to Gateway North, and we can see them fulfilled. But they were actually for this place, and God was saying, don't give up on those words yet. It's why we get together and pray on Wednesday. We're digging a well of prayer to seek the Lord and to break through in these areas. From 7 to 9 on Wednesday night, if you want to come and join us, we're praying particularly. It's a time of prayer and worship, and we pray particularly for healing. And and want to encourage you to come out and pray, because we believe God wants to do some powerful things in the area of healing. And maybe in the delay, God's got a reason. The other reason that came to me as I was lying on the floor was another prophetic word. We were given when Cindy Jacobs came a number of years ago, and she prophesied over us here. And she prophesied that this room would be full of young people. And I thought, yes, Lord, while we've got this room, let's take that promise. Let's lay hold of it. Let's pray into it. And Lord, would you fill this room with young people who are coming to find you, who are coming to know you? Our young people are lost. They need the truth of who Jesus is. Would you come and fill this place, Lord, even before we leave? God has a purpose in all of his delays. The first thing we understand, the first characteristic of the coming of the king is that it's in God's timing, not ours. But there is some good news sometimes as well in the middle of all sometimes the delays. And let me share a video with you this morning. Oh, good morning, Gateway Church. We just wanted to send a very quick message. We're heading off to TBC Church this morning. It'll be my last sermon. And God's sense of humor, I'm preaching on Abraham and what's the cost of faith. Um, so if you want to catch up with that, you can go on the TBC Church website and have a listen to me doing that. But we just wanted to say... Uh, we got some great news Friday. We finally got our immigration letter through, which means we were then able to book our flights, which we did yesterday. And so we will be flying out to you on the 2nd of May. Uh, so we're very excited about seeing you. Look forward to seeing you soon. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord. Even in the midst of uh, our delays and sometimes our discouragement, God sends us help, eh? He sends us his word to us. And so Chris and Meg are going to be arriving on uh, May the 2nd, 4.40 in the afternoon at the airport. And uh, so it's going to be great to have them with us. And so Beth can start figuring out which Sunday that's going to be, that we're going to have our a shower for them and we'll welcome them here. We'll make them feel at home. God's timing, living off his calendar, not ours. The first characteristic of the coming of the king. What's the second characteristic? The how. Zechariah was incredibly specific about how Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem. If you're thinking about that now and you think about 25, I'm going to prophesy now about how somebody's going to come into a city in 2580. So maybe they're in some sort of Jetsons, I don't know, sort of spaceship thing. Mark 567 or whatever. I mean, to prophesy something like that sounds crazy. How would you know they're even going to be riding donkeys in 560 years? But God knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And he prophesied the mode of transportation that Jesus would use to come into Jerusalem. If you're a mighty king, you come on a war horse, right? Isn't that what you do? Or maybe in a chariot and you have your armies around you and, and your people around you and shouting and trumpets blaring and whatever. But God says right to the Israelites 560 years before, you remember this. When your king comes, he's not going to be like any king that's ever walked the face of the earth. He's not interested in his own glory and his own how much he looks better than everybody else, how much more powerful he is, whether he has control of this or that or the other. He's going to come to you, and when he comes to you, he's going to be humble, and he is going to be riding a donkey. A donkey is just what the ordinary people rode. The ordinary people on the street that just... Uh, had nothing else to ride. They didn't have, couldn't afford horses. They couldn't afford chariots or anything else. And so they just rode donkeys. And that's what Jesus rode coming into Jerusalem. And it says humble and mounted on a donkey. That word humble there in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean not proud. It means actually somebody who lived a humble life. He was counted among the poor. That's who Jesus was. That's who he came as a king. He came to a a manger and a stable. That's where he was born. He was born into what we would now call poverty. And he lived that way. If he was walking around our streets today, you wouldn't look at him walking around dressed up in a really nice suit with loads of money and and a nice beamer and whatever he has to drive. You wouldn't actually see him walking around as a, as a comfortable middle class person in a nice comfortable middle class pony or machine, whatever they are. You know, um, our, our people in our world today that are high up, they, what you drive is really important. You know, the queen has a, has a gold carriage which she uses to, to get around in, in state um, times of, uh, you know, when they do things in, with the state in England. The Pope has a Pope meal which is set up for him wherever he goes. Uh, Trump, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, he has Air Force One. He has a big plane that flies. If Jesus was with us today, I wonder what he would drive. Maybe he'd take the bus. Or maybe he'd drive an old Dodge Omni. The reason that's up there is because Ken used to drive an old Dodge Omni. And... He just, he just loved that car. It was like the best donkey ever. And so, <laughs> humble and driving a Dodge Omni. That's how Jesus comes to the city. 
There's nothing special, nothing sparkly, nothing that makes you go, oh, he's just an ordinary person. He comes to live among the poor. And he comes to minister to the poor and to love the poor. And that's who he is, humble and riding in a donkey. But the, the writer to Ze- in Zechariah, he actually goes even um, into more detail. And he said, it's not just a donkey, it's a colt, the foal of a donkey. And every one of the gospel writers gets that detail. In. It's a colt. It's, a, it's a, not just a donkey, but it's a foal of a donkey. So one of the things you have to do uh, if you're going to be preaching sermons is you have to research donkey trainers, which is what I did. How to train a donkey, which is a little more complicated than how to train a dragon, apparently. Because donkeys are incredibly stubborn things. And um, they take a long time to teach to do anything. Once they've got it, they never lose it. So once they've got it in their head, they're fine. But it takes them a long time to train them. In fact, one of the donkey trainers I read, yes, I have read a few, and I got them off the internet, so they must be true. Um, One of the donkey trainers said that you really don't want to get on the back of a colt of a donkey for at least a year after you've trained it to walk properly and to understand your commands. Because that thing will just throw you off and give you all sorts of trouble. And the worst way to train a donkey is to train a donkey with its mother alongside Because mum gets upset if she sees baby donkey getting treated a certain way. So unless mum really understands what's going on, and so if you're going to do it like that, you have to train mum, not just to train mum, but to train her to understand what's going on when you're training the colt. Now you've got double trouble. The colt's going to throw you, and if you get thrown, mum's going to kick you. And if you've ever been kicked by a donkey, you'll know about it. I was in, um, in Bethlehem Live. I decided it would be very good to get a close-up of the donkey and, and baby Jesus with a camera. So um, for those of you who don't know, Bethlehem Live was our live um, Bethlehem. So we had donkeys, real donkeys. And so I climbed into the donkey's um, cage with the donkey. I'm standing beside it in sandaled feet, open toes, everything. And I'm about to take this really beautiful shot of the donkey's head and the straw of baby Jesus. And I'm about to press something and the donkey just goes, 400 pounds worth of hoof down on my toe, which was black and blue for a year. And that is no kidding. That thing had some serious strength to it. Anyway, I'm sure this donkey wasn't quite like that. But what was the point of this? Why would Jesus be taking a colt? Never been ridden before. You just don't do that unless you're the king of glory. See, the the people in the city didn't know who he was. But the donkey knew who he was. He knew who he had on his back. Whether he actually knew that in his mind or not, I don't know. But here's his creator. He's the creator of the universe. And this donkey is going to give him a ride. A ride he'll never forget. When Jesus comes... He comes humble. He's not going to come flying into West St. Paul. Here I am and and Gateway Church and we're going to take over and we're going to show you how to do things or whatever. He comes in humble. Riding on a donkey. Cleaning up the streets. On May the 4th. You should make a t-shirt. May the 4th be with you. Anyway, when you go out. um, You know, I don't know why I said that. Anyway. But going in with with humility of heart to serve and to love people. We're not here with the answer. We're going to tell you what you're doing wrong. We're going to show you how you can put your life right and everything. But go and love on people. Bless people. Go in uh, humble. Go in as one of the poor. 
Go on as one of the broken, because we all are, whatever, however well we dress ourselves up. That's what's underneath, right? We all need Jesus one way or another. When did he come? In God's good time. In the fullness of God's time. How does he come? He comes humble and riding on a donkey. And finally, why does he come? Why does he come? Well, we quickly get to understand that he's not come for what everybody else thinks he's come for. Both his supporters and those who oppose him think he's come to set up his own kingdom. To take over. To take a throne. Or to try to, at the very least. And his supporters are going to want that to happen. And the ones who oppose him are going to want to stop it. But Jesus doesn't want any of that. Jesus hasn't come for political power. He doesn't need it. He has all the power he needs. And he's going to rule and reign over everything anyway. He already does. So he doesn't need the thrones of earth like we think the thrones of earth. Jesus was coming in for another reason altogether. People are shouting and applauding him and clapping and saying what a wonderful guy he was, but that's not why he came in. He came in to be shouted at. He came in to be accused. He came in to be mocked. He came in to be scoffed. That's why he came in. He didn't come in to take some high seat and judge over everybody. He actually came to be brought before the high seats so that they would judge him. He didn't come into town to get some nice gown and some robes and and a crown of gold on his head. He rode into town to be stripped and beaten and to have a crown, an ugly crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He didn't come to be raised up on some throne and, and have some authority and be able to look down on everybody. He came to be lifted up on the cruelest of crucifixes and wooden crosses. Jesus is plainly not coming for what the people think he's coming for. So why is he coming? Well, look what Zechariah says. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. He hasn't come for power. He's come for people. That's why Jesus is in town. He's come for the people. Jesus said in John 10, in, in, in John, in chapter 17, I believe in 10, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come looking for lost people. I don't know if you know what it's like to lose somebody. We were in um, Montana a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. Our children are a little younger. And we were in a cabin which was on the side of a hill amongst all these trees. And the trees were quite dense. And, and sooner or later the trees gave way to some sort of fields. And then beyond that, at some distance, there was a town that you could only get to by driving to. So Julia and I and the kids, we were having a nap on an afternoon. And our third girl, Rachel, decided she'd go for a little wander. So she went off into the forest and was gone. And we lost her. And uh, one of our girls, uh, Lizzie, the youngest, woke up, realized that Rachel was gone and went looking for her for half an hour, never found her. And a storm started to come in. And it started to get really threatening. And I'm not sure if it started to rain or not. I can't remember. But it was certainly very threatening. There was thunder and lightning and, and whatever. And here she is wandering around in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And nobody knew where she was. Lizzie came back and, and woke Julia up. Julia started looking. Julia couldn't find her. And Rachel was out and she'd wandered through the woods. She'd come around down some pathways. She's trying to figure out which way to go. She can feel the thunder and lightning. She's scared and she doesn't know what to do. And she sees a sign on a fence that says no trespassing. Now to me, 
That means you don't go in. But to Rachel, what it meant was there's somebody that must live here. And so she got over the fence and went to this house in the middle of the woods. Sounds like a bad sort of fairy tale. And knocks on the door. And this old man comes uh, from the door. And she tries to tell him what's going on. And he invites her into the house. And she goes in. Yeah, just telling the story makes me kind of go, ah. And I know the ending. And so she goes in, but thankfully this guy is the local farmer. And he starts trying to figure out, where did you come from? I come from this cabin. And of course she had no idea where she was or what she was. She was totally disoriented. And he's phoning around. And two hours after she left the cabin and we lost her, this tractor pulls up outside the cabin and Rachel's on the back of the tractor. Thank you, Jesus. And the man had been lovely with her and his wife and brought her out and, and got her back. Being lost is a terrifying thing. Isn't it? And the Bible says we're all lost. We're all lost. All we like sheep, it says in Isaiah, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. We're all lost outside of God. And being lost is a dangerous place to be. It was for Rachel and it is for us. It's dangerous in this life because God is the God who looks after us. He's our heavenly father. He has all the resources that we need for life and to live our lives and to, for our marriages and our homes and everything else. He's got all the resources to help us through. He knows how to guide us through the woods to get us home. He's the only one who does. But our wandering away from God, which the Bible calls sin, cuts us off from God and his ability to help us through. It's a very dangerous place to be, to be lost away from God in this life. But it's particularly dangerous in the life to come. Because if we don't get found in this life and if we don't find God, we're lost for the next life too. And all of us will have one. We'll all die, our bodies, but our spirits live on. We are in a, uh, there's a spirit that lives on after death. And we will face judgment after that if we're still lost. And if we're lost in this life, we will end up being lost in the life to come for eternity in a horrible place the Bible calls hell. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to go there. And God doesn't want anybody to go there. The Bible says God's not willing for any to perish, but he wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want people to be lost. And if you feel lost today, either because you've never met Jesus or because you've met him, but your life has kind of gone all over the map and you're feeling lost. I want to tell you, you have a God who wants to seek and save lost people and he's seeking and saving you right now. That's why you're here. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem because he's looking for lost people. And the wonderful thing is that when he went to that cross and he died on that cross, he took your sin and he took my sin, he took your lostness. And my lostness, he took all the wrong things we did and he, he took them onto that cross and then nailed onto that cross. And not just all the sins, but all of the results of that sin in our lives. The consequences, the punishment, Jesus took it on himself. All the wrath and the anger of God against all the sins that I've ever done was heaped on Jesus Christ on that cross. And he died there for you and me. But as Ken said, he rose again on the third day. He's alive. And he's defeated the power of death. Every power of darkness, anything out there that's dangerous to you and me, Jesus has defeated it already. And he wants to bring you home to your father.
He wants to bring you home to God. You do not need to leave this place lost today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity before I finish to come into relationship with God if it's your first time or to come back to God. Characteristics of the coming of the king. When? In God's timing. The fullness of time. How? Humility on the back of a donkey. Why? Because he's looking for lost people. What does that mean for us today? Does it mean we just have to wait for a, a coming of the king and if, if we're in need and we're not sure how to be able to access that help? Something wonderful happened after Jesus rose up into heaven. He said to his disciples before he left, he said this, as I, the Father, sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. When he was praying in in John chapter 17, he said to God, I'm not of this world. And these people that you've given me are not of this world now. As you sent me, I am sending them. Unpack that. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus came from heaven to a lost world. When we get connected to God again and we give our lives to Jesus, ask him to cleanse us of our sin, repent of our sin, turn back to him and follow him, something amazing happens. And this will happen to you if you do that this this, this morning. You are born from above. You're born again and God is born in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that was in Christ comes into you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are no longer of this world. We don't belong here now. But God isn't taking us up into heaven right now because he's sending us back into the world like he sent Jesus into the world. In other words, when you walk into your workplace tomorrow morning, it's the coming of the king into your workplace because Jesus is in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm not the king. You're not the king. But we have the king in us and he's alive in us. And wherever you move and wherever you go in a home, you go back home and there's people at home that that are living uh, life away from God and, and it hurts you and it pains you and you don't even know what to do with it. When you walk through that door, it's the coming of the king walking through that door. We're sons and daughters of the living God. We have his presence in us. That's what Ron was preaching about last week. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we move into situations, the king moves into those situations. Jesus comes. Not only does Jesus in us and moving through us, but he wants to move in power. He wants to do things that he did on the earth through us. But sometimes we don't believe that. We don't believe that's possible because we don't fundamentally believe sometimes that this is what's happening. That when I moved through the door, the king came in. If I really believed that, that Jesus the king walked through the door, what couldn't Jesus do? Really? What situation is too difficult for him? Right? What physical situation is too difficult? There isn't anything too difficult for him. He's the king of glory. 
And you don't have to ride in and think I'm on a white steed and I'm bringing all this power and this whatever. You come in humbly. It doesn't change. Humble, riding on a donkey. Lord, I'm your donkey today. Let me be your donkey. You just ride on me into this situation. You just use me however you want to use me. But why is Jesus moving in us and through us? Because he's looking for lost people. He's looking for lost people. Jesus, give us your eyes. Help us to see what you see in people around us, in the workplaces, in in Sobeys, in Starbucks, wherever you go. Lord, give us eyes to see what you see because you are in us and you are looking for lost people. And that's what the coming of the king means.